Did you know Quebec was almost going to leave Canada and become another country? And do you know why KFC is called PFK in Quebec? Hi everyone, I'm Anag. And I'm Ash. And today, we're going to be discussing the relationship between Quebec and Canada. Quebec, Canada's French-speaking province, is a unique place in Canada with strong regional identity. Quebec has had a long-held desire to leave the Canadian Confederation and become an independent state. But why is this desire so strong? To answer that, we need to look back at the province's history. Quebec's history is rooted in its language, religion, and law, and it sees itself as a distinct nation. The province was first settled by the French in the early 1600s, and its identity is deeply tied to its French roots. When the British seized control in 1759, they tried to impose English language and culture on the province, which created tensions that continue to this day. These tensions led to a series of political movements throughout the 20th century, with Quebec seeking greater autonomy within Canada. In 1980 and 1995, the province held referendums on independence, but both times, the majority of voters chose to remain within Canada. But the desire for independence has not gone away. Many Quebecers still see themselves as a distinct nation and believe that their unique identity can only be protected through independence. It's worth noting that Quebec is a large province, covering a landmass of 1.356 million square kilometers. It's Canada's second most populous province with a population of 8.1 million in 2016. The majority of Quebec's population is French-speaking, with 77% reporting French as their mother tongue in 2016. Almost half of the population speaks French only, and a little less than half speak French and English. Only 4.6% of the population reports speaking English only. It's also worth noting that Quebec is home to a large immigrant population, with 13.7% of the population being immigrants. The majority of these immigrants are located in Montreal, which is Quebec's largest city, and Canada's second largest city after Toronto. Montreal is a highly diverse city, with over 23% of its population being immigrants. This diversity has helped to shape the city's culture and identity, and shows a trend of Quebec's growing openness and willingness to embrace new cultures. We'll start off with the history of Quebec, then discuss what led to the two referendums and the thought process of the voters. We will then analyze the impact of the referendums, discuss what would have happened if Quebec were to separate and how likely that would be. Finally, we would conclude the podcast with our thoughts. Wow, the history of Quebec is really interesting. It's amazing to think that it dates all the way back to 1608 when Quebec City was founded by Samuel de Champlain. Yes, and it's also fascinating how Quebec's regional identity within Canada has played such a significant role in its history. With the defeat of France by the English in 1759, the seeds of separation were sown, and for the next 200 years, French Canadians largely played a secondary role in their own province, with the English occupying most of the key positions in industry, business, and politics. It must be frustrating to be a Francophone living in Quebec at the time. But it's incredible to think that it wasn't until the 1960s that the seeds of separation started to grow, with Francophones starting to assert dominance over political and economic affairs in the province. And the Quiet Revolution must have been a significant turning point for Quebec. 
Absolutely. The Quiet Revolution was a period of social and political changes that saw the church's role limited, the nationalization of major resources and utilities in the province, increased control over economic issues by French Canadians, and the growth of Quebec's middle class. It's amazing how much progress was made during that time, but it wasn't all peaceful. The October Crisis, when the Front de Libération de Quebec, FLQ, a group that sought Quebec's independence through violence, killed a Quebec politician, kidnapped a foreign diplomat, and carried out bombings in the province, was a turning point. The separatists finally realized what every mother teaches their child, violence is never the answer. And so, the Parti Québécois, a political party that supports Quebec's independence, became a major player in Quebec politics. Yes, the Parti Québécois was a pro-separatist provincial government that advocated for Quebec's sovereignty from Canada and the establishment of a sovereign separate state. And the Charter of the French Language, known as Bill 101, was a significant piece of legislation that sought to make French the common language of Quebecers. And that is why KFC is called PFK in Quebec. It's fascinating to think that Quebec's distinctiveness is rooted in its language, religion, and law, and that Quebecers see themselves as a distinct nation. Yes, it's no wonder that they desired to establish their unique identity in the form of their own nation. Quebec's growing prosperity in the 1970s led to a surge in support for independence, with the proportion of Quebecers supporting independence growing from 25% in 1970 to 40% by 1980. Sensing there was an opportunity for Quebec's independence, the Parti Québécois held a referendum to secede in 1980. The government sought a mandate to begin negotiation for sovereignty association with the federal government. Sovereignty Association was described as a monetary and customs union, including free trade between the two countries, common tariff on imports, and Quebec's use of the Canadian dollar, as well as a series of joint political institutions to administer the relations between Quebec and the rest of Canada. Ultimately, the referendum was rejected by 60% of Quebec's voters. While Quebecers were disheartened that the sovereignty did not pass, the idea of an independent Quebec did not fade away. Over the years, jurisdictional disputes between Quebec and the federal government placed a strain on the traditional means of accommodating Quebec within the Confederation. The federal government devolved powers to the provinces, including Quebec, in response. But the negotiations to include Quebec within the Constitution and recognize it as a distinct society failed. The 1987 Meech Lake Accord and the 1992 Charlottetown Accord both failed. In addition to the failed negotiations, a 1989 Supreme Court ruling that Quebec's language laws were not constitutional added to the growing sense of alienation within the province. All of these factors led to the Parti Québécois coming back to power in 1994. Concurrently, the Bloc Québécois, a federal party that pressed the separatist agenda, gained strong support in the province in the 1993 federal election. And all of these developments set the stage for the 1995 referendum on Quebec's independence. The question posed was, do you agree that Quebec should become sovereign after having made a formal offer to Canada for a new economic and political partnership within the scope of the bill respecting the future of Quebec and of the agreement signed on June 12, 1995? 
What does it mean? Uh, it means that Quebec, uh, we are going to... Uh, you tell her. It means we vote no. But what does no mean? It means we are going to... separate? I thought it meant we were going to stay. Tell me which way did you vote? No. You won't tell me? No. Then tell me. No. You, you did vote, no? I voted yes. You voted yes, no? Oh, you I voted did... no, yes? Ah, oh, which way did you vote? Me, I voted to separate. And was that yes or no? I don't know. That was a clip from the Canadian comedy sketch show 22 Minutes in an Hour. And it's clear the question on the referendum ballot was quite confusing and I'm sure it must have created a lot of ambiguity in the minds of the voters. Yes, the question was not clear at all and many people who voted yes did not fully understand the implications of their vote. That's understandable given the confusing nature of the question but it's also important to note that the Federalist campaign did an excellent job of emphasizing the economic issues involved in the separation. Absolutely. The Federalist campaign was united, aggressive, and overconfident in the first few weeks, and they tried to bring hard economic issues to the forefront of the debate. That seems to have worked, as polls show that a large number of those who intended to vote yes were unclear on the implications of their vote. Yes, and the Federalists also warned that sovereignty meant total separation and no negotiations would be held on any issue. One reporter from an Ontario Federalist group summarized the feelings of the participants. It was felt that Quebec is like a teenager who wants his own room, telephone and so forth, yet still expects an allowance from dad. If Quebec goes, it must go all the way without keeping one hand in Canada's pocket. It's interesting to see how both sides used different tactics in the campaign. The PQ leaders emphasized emotional and social issues while the Federalists tried to highlight economic issues. Yes, this emotional campaign was necessary for the PQ to persuade Quebecers to see the referendum as the culmination of more than 30 years of nationalist struggle. That's a good point. Nationalist movements often grow when relative grievances are high and the French-speaking Quebecers did not feel equal to English-speaking Canadians. Exactly. The PQ argued that the French language was threatened and that sovereignty was necessary to protect it. Quebecers based their choice in large part to an evaluation of the likely costs and benefits of sovereignty in two major areas, the economy and the situation of the French language in Quebec. But it's interesting that despite these issues, the no side was able to command the majority of the support. Yes, that's true. In periods of constitutional crisis, nationalist feelings and support for sovereignty run high. But when the same is linked to a clear vote for imminent secession, then there is a sharp drop. Many voters had serious doubts about independence and were not sure if they wanted the separatist alternative offered by the PQ. And it seems that the problems of doubt, uncertainty and lack of clarity about the future have been faced by separatist movements everywhere. This benefits defenders of the status quo. But interestingly, there were much more nuances to the polling results. While a majority of Francophone voters chose to separate, 95% of Quebec's Allophone and Anglophone populations voted no. That's right. And it's important to understand that shifting demographics associated with Quebec's increasingly multicultural society contributed to the loss of the referendum. 
Montreal, with its large immigrant population, the eastern townships, which are home to a comparatively large English population, Gatineau, the Quebec portion of the national capital Ottawa, and northern Quebec, home to large indigenous populations that felt greater attachment and protection to Canada, as opposed to Quebec, predominantly voted new. In fact, we wanted to ask the leader of the PQ at the time, Jacques Parizeau, how he felt about the loss. Monsieur Parizeau, what do you have to say about this crushing defeat? 50.6% no, 49.4% yes. C'est vrai qu'on a été battu au fond par quoi? Par l'argent puis des votes ethniques. Let me translate that for the non-French speakers listening to this podcast. It's true, we were beaten. But by what really? By money and the ethnic vote. Wow, the impact of the 1980 referendum on Quebec was severe, to say the least. I had no idea that the Royal Bank and the Bank of Montreal moved their head office functions to Toronto because of Levesque's obsession with Quebec independence. What a huge loss for Quebec's economy. Yes, it was definitely a major blow. The exodus of head offices from Quebec included many of the province's biggest companies, such as Redpath Sugar, Sun Life, Molson's, Royal Trust, Trisec, and Northern Telecom. The long-term effect of the French nationalism in Quebec on businesses was evident when the Charter of the French Language was introduced, which required companies with 50 or more employees to translate all documents into French, purchase French software, and complete a francization program, resulting in fines for non-compliance. That's really unfortunate. And it's shocking to hear that sovereignists refuse to discuss the economic implications of separation or devolution of federal powers, denouncing such discussions as scare tactics. It was a touchy subject for them. The business sector in Quebec remained relatively quiet during the referendum campaign. But two of the province's most respected business leaders, Laurent Boudouin, CEO of Bombardier Inc., and Paul Desmarais, chair of Power Corp., spoke out and defended their right to express their federalist views. However, Premier Parizeau accused them of trying to discredit him and said that subsidies were given to big companies so that they would scare their employees into voting no. That's quite an extraordinary and politically motivated assault on two of Quebec's most accomplished leaders. It's no wonder that investors might have been concerned about the government of an independent country led by Parizeau. Absolutely. The mere possibility of Quebec's separation from Canada created an unstable and unappealing business environment for both federal and provincial levels. It caused significant economic stress leading up to both the 1980 and 1995 referendums. Right. The Canadian dollar suffered a lot during this time, declining considerably while interest rates increased. That's correct. The situation was quite dire. In addition, the uncertainty surrounding the vote had a detrimental impact on stock returns, especially for companies that were more susceptible to the volatility of Quebec's political and market conditions. Moreover, the referendum affected the value of the Canadian dollar and bond yields. The Toronto Stock Exchange experienced its sixth largest drop in history leading up to the 1995 referendum. Out-migration from Quebec also contributed to the declining economic vitality of Montreal and the province as a whole in the short term, 
the loss of major national corporations and leadership talent, particularly among Anglophones, dealt a blow to Quebec's economy. Although the Quiet Revolution and the provincial government's efforts to grow the economy and promote Francophone leadership had some impact, the loss of Anglophone talent was still a significant setback. And this continues to be a problem today. Most of the companies that come to recruit at Rotman, uh, if they have a Montreal office, would only hire if you speak French. That is a huge loss. This was definitely not a good time to be an investor or business in Canada. Did you know that the Quebec secession had an international dimension too, which is often neglected? Really? What kind of issues did it entail? There were several economic issues, including the division of Quebec and Canada's defense assets and sovereign debt liabilities. Furthermore, Quebec would face considerable international interference from creditors who would have substantial bargaining power in sovereign debt markets. That sounds complicated. But what about Quebec's place in the NAFTA? Well, even though Quebec showed the most political support towards NAFTA, it was a big question whether it would still have access to the benefits of Canada's 1989 free trade agreement with the United States. They won't necessarily get automatic access to the NAFTA. Polls showed that political support for the FTA was stronger among Quebecers than elsewhere in Canada, and many sovereignists viewed the agreement as being essential to their economic viability. So what was the problem with Quebec becoming a separate party to the FTA? It wasn't as clear or as simple as they presented. And some trade experts predicted that an independent Quebec would face increased trade conflict with the United States. If Quebec proposed to sign onto the FTA as a sovereign country, the other parties, the United States and what remained of Canada, would want a review of Quebec laws and regulations that they thought were trade restrictive. And the resultant negotiations would come during the transition to sovereignty, just when Quebec would be politically and economically most disrupted and vulnerable. I see. That's extremely complex. What about the fiscal impact of separation? Sovereignists believed that separation would result in fiscal profits but many economics refuted this claim. In fact, independent and federalist economics, economists mostly predicted some net cost from separation. They typically projected a drop in Quebec's GDP of around 2 to 3%, comparable to a significant recession, like the one that occurred in 1981 to 1983, even assuming a peaceful and conflict transition, conflict-free transition. That means the best case scenario was a depression. Wow, that is a significant drop. And I'm pretty sure that Quebec would want to avoid this at all costs. What did the separatists have to say about this? What would they say? Separatists had no convincing rebuttal to this analysis. If pressed, they maintained that the costs, while significant, would be manageable. They appear to believe that there would be long-run gains from factors beyond conventional economic analysis, such as social cohesion, less, co less costly policy trade-offs, greater, greater government efficiency, and more decisive leadership. It's like all the startups at CDL who think that they're worth a billion dollars using economics of their own. Yeah, that does not sound very convincing at all. 
No, it doesn't. And transition costs would be very important. They would be very sensitive to the degree of political conflict or cooperation between Quebec and the rest of Canada. Many difficult issues would have to be resolved, whether by negotiation or by conflict. What kind of difficult issues are you talking about? For instance, deciding what federal buildings, land and organizations, including the national defense assets and personnel, should be transferred to Quebec and what they were worth. Both sides' strength and flexibility would be impaired by the heavy loads of public debt that has prevailed in the mid-1990s, which the cost of separation would probably aggravate. Furthermore, International investors might hesitate to hold Canada or Quebec bonds and Quebec would face very heavy demands on its public treasury during the transition. Even if its access to financing was undiminished, it's like fighting a divorce case while being sued for bankruptcy. But what about the monetary policy? That would become a huge question. The alternative to establishing a new Quebec currency would be to retain the use of the Canadian dollar. But that didn't seem to align with the rest of the ideology of separation. Do you think it would be in Canada's best interest to actively support retaining the Canadian dollar for Quebec? I absolutely think so. A common currency area provides significant efficiency gains for all participants and abandoning the Canadian dollar monetary regime would lead to reduced efficiencies for Canadian residents. Furthermore, the Bank of Canada would need to figure out how to cope with the reduction in the supply of Canadian dollars once Quebec stops using them, which could cause considerable market uncertainty about the future of monetary policy in Canada. I see your point, and I also think that Canada cannot easily prevent Quebec from using the Canadian dollar. Strong controls and restrictions would have to be implemented on any foreign exchange transaction for Canadians, and that seems very difficult. What about the proposed split of the debt between Canada and Quebec? The PQ's proposal suggests that outstanding federal government debt would remain Canada's legal responsibility but Quebec would contribute its share towards the payment of interest and principal on that debt. However, this would tie Canada to the promises of a sovereign Quebec for an extended period of time, which could lead to continuing negotiations and renegotiations over what constitutes a fair share and the terms of repayment. Whoa, that that sounds like the roommate who does not put his name on the lease agreement and promises to pay his rent on good faith. That's a valid concern. It would be ideal for Quebec to issue and sell its own debt instruments in internal and international financial markets to fund the repayment of its obligations to Canada, which would allow the Canadian government to retire the share of its national debt attributable to Quebec and disentangle the two nations. However, it remains to be seen whether Quebec would be able to secure favorable terms on its own in the international financial markets. I find it quite ironic that in an era of globalization, the quest for independence is becoming more common. It seems counterintuitive that political fragmentation is happening at the same time when countries need to become more dependent on each other. Yes, I can see your point. I think 
that the desire for separation is often driven by cultural or linguistic differences, or a belief that a group or territory can be better off on their own economically. However, the reality is that globalization requires countries to work together to maintain economic stability and growth. That's true. And it's interesting that despite support for separation remaining relatively high since the 1995 referendum, there hasn't been another referendum in Quebec. That's because the uncertainty that separation generated resulted in two important legislative changes. First, the Supreme Court of Canada ruled that Quebec does not have the right to unilaterally secede from Canada. Although the provinces and federal government would need to negotiate separation if Quebec voters clearly voted in favor of separation. Second, the Clarity Act was passed in 2000 by the federal government, which set the terms for secession and placed additional obstacles in the way of secession. It's interesting that despite these obstacles, support for separation remained high for a bit. Yes, but the interest in separation wasn't translated into success in the polls for the Parti Québécois or for a third referendum. In fact, the sovereignty discussion once again disappeared after the PQ's defeat in the 2014 provincial election. That's true. It seems like there are multiple reasons why interest in separation has declined, including Quebec's relatively strong economy, a strong social welfare state, and its success in protecting its language and institutions. Remember PFK instead of KFC? (laughs) Exactly. And disinterest in separation could also reflect increased neoliberalism, both internal and external to the province. In addition, globalization has essentially imposed limits on nation states to manage their domestic affairs, which could also contribute to the decline in interest in separation. So, in conclusion, the relationship between Quebec and Canada is complex and ongoing, shaped by a long and complicated history. The key takeaways from our discussion include the importance of language and culture in shaping identity, the potential implications of Quebec separatism, and the need for mutual respect and understanding. Both Quebec and the federal government must work towards a positive and productive relationship that respects Quebec's unique identity and culture while maintaining the unity of Canada as a whole. By recognizing these factors, we can build a stronger and more united Canada.